Bible Q&A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible but were afraid to ask. I'm Cameron Howard. And I'm Eric Bradham. And today we welcome Professor Matt Skinner, who teaches New Testament here at Luther Seminary, um, who has written for us on the question, Does God Bless America Only? I mean, we hear this, right, all the time. It's in the songs and it's in the patriotism, the sense that um, that God has blessed this country. But I think you help us problematize that a bit and think maybe more broadly about what the Bible means by blessing. In short, how, how do we think about blessing? What, what does it mean? Well, I think blessing in some ways, the way we use it today, it just means fortunate. Right. You know, that things have fallen for me in good places, that everything's okay for me. But behind that theologically is this idea that God has blessed us, that God has given us gifts, which is all over the place in the Bible, I think particularly in the Old Testament as a way of speaking about who God is, that God is the source of all good things, all of the things that sustain human wholeness or human well-being in some way come from God. And what I say in my essay is that doesn't necessarily mean that God has somehow said, you know, Cameron's been really nice these last couple of weeks. I'm going to make sure she gets something <laughs> Although good she has in the been mail. Nice. I can, Probably, I can yeah. This. But maybe, and so it's less about maybe God causing the whole universe to bend in a way that benefits you. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's just a way of saying sometimes when things work out well, when when um, when old divides are reconciled, when people are brought together, when people are fed, when people the poor um, are taken care of, that that's kind of a sign of God's goodness. So that's mm-hmm. a sign of what God intends for the world. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily mean that God has handpicked some for blessing and some for non-blessing, yeah. but rather when when things work as they should, we yeah. recognize something of the love of God or the the benevolence of God in in our lives. And that's a, that's a blessing. It means something good has happened. Something life giving has happened. The blessing maybe isn't this individual matter. It's not about God's gifts for me, but God's gifts for the world. That blessing is about, you know, the abundance that God has given us worldwide, not necessarily the abundance I have in my bank account, for example. And doesn't necessarily mean that I am therefore better than you, or I've done something right and you haven't because I have this blessing and you don't. That's where I think we fall into a, a problem where we assume Wow, this is great. I've been really blessed and you know, sucks to be you, Eric, but <laughs> sometimes <laughs> you must have done something wrong, right? Yeah. This is, you know, a problem throughout scripture and throughout our lives. You must have done something wrong or too bad God hasn't smiled upon you. And mm-hmm. that's just I don't I don't I think that's that's really problematic for me both philosophically but also right. reading the Bible as well and so. recognizing that um although God certainly promises to reward and punish in certain places it's never quite as morally clear mm-hmm. as we sometimes wish it would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I think of blessing, I also automatically think of curse. And I think of texts in Deuteronomy <laughs> where covenant, the keeping of covenant, um, you know, if covenant is kept, then there's a long list of blessings that will follow. And if covenant is not kept, then there's a long list of curses that will follow. Do you think we can think of curses in the same way that we think of blessings as sort of an orientation rather than a kind of causal, cause and effect? I think so. I think it means that it's not that God sits on a throne and says, oh, I really hope you do well today so I can bless you. And if you don't, I'm going to send some cursings your way. I'm you know, going to release the hounds or the, the, the flying monkeys or something. But rather, I think it's... it's a, a thing of nightmares. <laughs> maybe. I think that's a way for the Bible to say... And correct me if I'm wrong, you two know these texts as well as if not better than I do. There are certain ways of living that promote human well-being and that promote 
um, God's intentions and that, that, that orient us toward God. And there are certain ways of living that do not, that blind us to that. And those things sometimes end in hardship or frustration or despair or whatever. Not to say that everybody who suffers has done something wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But there are certain ways of living that tend to promote uh, the ways of God in our midst. And by contrast, there are ways that don't. So I don't think the law is God's way of saying, I dare you to mess up and to see if I'll smite you. Right. I think the law is God's way of saying, look, this is how you were made. This is how life works. And these are the things that promote love and goodness and charity. And these are the things that promote selfishness and hate and destruction. And God says, I want you, therefore, to choose life. Right? Choose the things that are blessings. I wonder if sometimes what we do is that I think we tend to treat the law largely as a prescriptive matter. So it's God saying, do this, don't do that. But there's also this descriptive element about it that I think you were tapping into as well, is that there are ways of life um, that enhance the lives of others, um, that invite um, uh, the multiplication of that blessing. So it's not just a blessing that you receive, but a blessing that you share with others. Uh, but that there's also ways in which we can act towards one another that uh, can bring curses upon one another, can bring hardship, can bring um, destruction upon someone else's lives. Uh, so that the law isn't just um, a set of rules telling us what not to do and what, uh, and what to do, but it's it's an orientation towards a way of life, which is, I think, something you were getting to, Cameron, earlier, which is really helpful for me to think about. Yeah, that that it is this orientation toward a particular way of life, which is itself um, a sort of a spiritual practice or an orientation toward God, that that in those positive encounters with neighbor, that that is the way the path is cleared to have then an encounter with God or a, it's a, it's a almost, um, it, it is in a way worship or it is a way to have access to worship. I mean, even in the Levitical codes, this idea of holiness, right? That, and the holiness code at the end of Leviticus, where how you act toward one another is what then makes you, um, able to approach God mm-hmm. in worship. Mm-hmm. I think so. And it might also then affect the way you approach your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so right. to say, right, to say that I've received a blessing, I don't think should say, should be a way of saying God has smiled upon me and God notices me. It might be, but it might also be a way of saying this is when, this is what life looks like when everything works as it's supposed to. And maybe that should then encourage me or prompt me to mm-hmm. act in such a way that my neighbor can experience the same thing. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? And so yeah, yeah. is God the source of that still? Well, yes, but it's not to, you know, I know plenty of people have known many who, whose lives have not been good, who, when you say, how are you? They'll say, well, I'm blessed. Mm-hmm. And they mean that. And what they're saying isn't just, I hope things will be better tomorrow. What they're saying is despite my circumstances, I've been able to tap into a sense of God's goodness in the world and I want to spread that to others and I want others to um, to benefit from that same thing and so it's it's a call to action or a call to participation maybe in the ways of God as much as it's a way of saying um, things are good it's more than just a life is good t-shirt how about that yeah. <laughs> and that original blessing right is, is this blessing to Abraham but I always struck that that blessing isn't just for Abraham right it, it kind of extends beyond his own life into the, the legacy that he leaves behind for the sake of the world. Is that, is that yeah, there? That Am I all, making stuff up? No, no, that's there in Genesis 12 that um, all families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. So I mean, the blessing goes first to Abraham and his family, but it is through that family then that blessing is extended across the world. Yeah. 
Which is more than a good luck charm, right? But it's a way of saying that as Abraham lives into the realities of what this God wants for humanity, that's right. Others will then pick up on it. Others will then benefit from it. Others will. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? It's more than saying like, if everything works out with you, Abraham, it's all going to, you know, but it's, it's all going to work out for everybody else. It's a kind of good luck charm, but it's rather this way of, I think, living into what a relationship with the living God looks yeah. like. And So let's bring it back to America then. Back to the original question. Does God bless America? I mean, our, it seems like every president, big presidential speech ends with that, you know, God bless the United States of America. Is that, um, does that work? Is that significant? Is it theologically right? What, what, is it consistent with the Bible? What, what do we make of these political statements of, of God blessing this country. Well, if it's a prayer, then sure. Uh, and it's a good thing. You know, uh, if it's saying we, we hope God blesses us, mm-hmm. not that we hope God picks us over the whoever, right. pick your other foreign country. The Canadians, for example. Yeah, I hope yeah. God blesses over the Canadians, especially, you know, during Olympic hockey. <laughs> but it's, it's rather, you know, I hope, God, I hope God's ways are realized here within mm-hmm. our society and that becomes a means of showing others what God might do. That's not about wealth or prosperity as mm-hmm. much as it's, I think, about ways of living. So as a prayer, it's great. But if it becomes a kind of, you know, like USA chant of, at the yeah, Olympics, yeah. like, God's blessed us and not you, you know, so there, then it's, it's problematic to me because I don't think God works that way. And I think it's, um, I think it's pretty arrogant to assume that God would choose us over any other nation. Right. Do you think that in America we have a sort of civil religion? I mean, do we tend to, um, believe in America in a way similar that one might say one believes in God? I think so. I mean, and that's probably true in any country, is my guess, that we have a, this just works sociologically, that if we band together and if we work together, good things will happen. And that's really true, and it's been true throughout the history of America. And a lot of people have sacrificed a great deal, um, ultimately, their lives for the sake of America and America's values. And I don't want to disparage that in any way. But I want to say that um, that we make a we we make a mistake. I think when we equate America with God's own chosen people, and this is this is really deeply rooted in the American experience. I mean, I talk about a, a Harriet Beecher Stowe quote in my article: uh, "The Puritan preacher John Winthrop spoke of America as you know the city on the hill that's going to give light to all the nations." Now, there's something about that that could be true, and kind of the American experiment has done much to benefit the world, but it's not that we're the new Israel, or that mm-hmm. we're, just as God called Israel out of slavery, you know, God has somehow called America out of religious persecution in the British Isles, and mm-hmm. we need to be really careful with how we do that, but that's part of the American experience, this idea of a people who have been called, you know, to, to take possession of the land and to um, be in a position uniquely suited to benefit the whole world. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some ways in which historically that's proven to be true, at least in the 20th century, but right. I don't think that necessarily means that God has somehow chosen us for a special purpose. Yeah. I, I, I would want a lot more <laughs> of, yeah. a, of a rationale before I could support that. Yeah, there's ways in which this religious language has been used for so much good. I mean, it's... Um, the liberation of peoples, uh, the the widening net of, of people who are included, mm-hmm. um, and you know Christians and people of, of faith have have constantly turned to the Bible and turned to Scripture to find ways and found God blessing us as as we engage in these um, moments of liberation. But those same uh, many of those same texts have also been used on the other on the other hand to oppress people to hold them down, so that even as we hold on to this this hope that. Um, we might be able to be a beacon to the world 
because God has blessed us in a particular way. And that blessing means not that we get all the world's money and all the world's resources, but we get the responsibility um, to to do God's work in the world, in, in a sense. That we remember that there's always this dark side along alongside as well. That we're, uh, This country is just as broken as any other. We don't get to escape um, the, the forces of oppression, the forces of evil that, that we know exist in the world. I agree. And the Bible is very hard on nations that... Mm-hmm are blind to their own injustices, right. whether we're talking about the Old Testament prophets or things that Jesus said or the book of Revelation or whatever. And so I think there's sometimes very wealthy, very powerful nations that are spoken mm-hmm. out in the Bible that are told to be very careful about the ways in which they gain their wealth and their power. Mm-hmm. Who are you stepping on to do that? Uh, and there are times when America does that, as any other great nation does, and there are times when America acts very selfishly, selflessly, mm-hmm. um, and that's important too. But we, we blind ourselves to the injustice in our midst if we assume that, well, we're God's chosen, therefore everything we do is right. right. And I don't think any of us really believe that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really, you've got to be really <laughs> arrogant to totally <laughs> believe that, but it's so written through our civil religion, like you talked about, Cameron, the way in which we kind of bind together as a people, and we need to be careful of that. Mm-hmm. So if it is, as you say at the end of your essay, um, that that we are defined by the gospel of Jesus Christ, not our political realities. What does that mean for us living as Americans, uh, you know, faithful Christians in America? How do we prioritize that? I think it means that we never confuse our identity as disciples of Jesus with our identity as citizens. That that, prim- that first and foremost, we are God's sons and daughters. We are Jesus' disciples. And that means we belong to America only secondarily. That, that that's, um, that's not who we finally really are. That if, if ever forced to choose between America and God, we must choose God. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I hope I never have to make that decision in my life. But that that's part of it. That, um, that as well, what what our identity as citizens might demand from us might be different from what God might demand from us. We might be called by God to forgive our enemies in ways that um, as a citizen, our country would be foolish to do to finally say, you know, (laughs) that, that whole thing you did, that whole war thing you did, you know, we're going to just forgive you and let you go. Or, or, you know, we still have a a civil justice system that requires people to um, go through rehabilitation or punishment. And, but as a Christian, I need to be able to, not confuse those and recognize my primary call is to forgive and to be generous. Yeah. I think that's part of it. I don't, most of us don't have to face this on a daily basis, but it's an important reminder. I think whenever we, when we pledge allegiance to a flag or when we talk about our identity to God, or when we think about um, a cross in a sanctuary and some sanctuaries have American flags and I mean, what are those doing there? What does that mean? And mm-hmm. that we never confuse who we are as Americans or how we vote as Americans with this primary identity as children of God. Yeah. I think in the end, too, these these lines aren't so easily demarcated. It's not so evident when, you know, when we move from being uh, disciples of Christ to citizens of America that we, we need each other to kind of help in these kind of reflections and contemplations. So we don't do any of this by ourselves either. And if we do, we'll probably make mistakes. Right. We'll, we'll um, emphasize one over the other or we'll be blind to our own injustice. I think you're right. Well, thank you for being here and thank you for joining us on Bible Q&A. You can find more information at enterthebible.org. Join us again.